0: Money Dearest is a podcast series focusing on elder abuse. It is brought to you courtesy of the Sydney Community Foundation and the Perkins Family Foundation and produced in the studios of Radio 2 SERFM. Elder abuse can be financial, psychological, through neglect or physical or sexual abuse. And in this episode, we will look at the issue of inheritance conservation. Many people don't want to think about the ending of their lifespan, but it's one thing that we know will happen to us all at some point. What do you want the end of your life to be like? Is it worth thinking about the way you wish to live in the future? I'm sure you're thinking, yes, I do want to have a say about how I live when I'm older and less capable to make decisions on my own. If you've already put in place someone who can act as your power of attorney, or you have an enduring guardianship or an advanced life care plan then you've already thought about these issues and set up a plan for when you are no longer able to look after various aspects of your life. But if the people nominated, usually relatives, don't fully understand what their roles are, your expectations or their responsibilities, then things can go wrong. Perhaps siblings are not in agreement with how your affairs should be handled or how best to manage your care. Or perhaps one or all of your nominated representatives who may also be beneficiaries of your estate can be focused on maintaining your wealth as they will be benefiting in the not-too-distant future. This kind of abuse is inheritance conservation when your representative or representatives are more focused on preserving your money rather than using it for the care that you need when you need it most. Today we have a Greek-Australian family who are struggling with the mental decline of their wife and mother due to dementia. Maria Alexandropoulos is 77 and she and her husband Con ran the local fish shop for much of their working lives until Con finally retired and sold the shop to developers over 10 years ago. Maria has been diagnosed as being in the early stages of dementia and has become very forgetful. Maria and Con have in place both power of attorney and guardianship documents put together with their solicitor Michael Anton after Con sold the shop and they retired. Their son Arthur was nominated as power of attorney and their daughter Dimmy as guardian for both. Con helped Dimmy and her husband John buy the house next door to them soon after they married when their neighbour moved overseas. Whilst Arthur lives in the next suburb, with Dimmy next door she is shouldering most of the load in the care of their mother. After Con asked them to take over much of their financial and day to day affairs, Con felt that Dimi would look after her mother well, and he was brought up in the old traditional ways of being a provider and protector with home and caring the work of the women folk. Maria's condition has been deteriorating, and the weekly allowance that Arthur initially set up is no longer enough. More frequent specialist appointments are required and there's a need to modify Maria and Con's home to make it more comfortable for Maria as her condition progresses. Arthur's been away on business frequently and seems reluctant to provide more money. With expenses increasing, Dimmy has been covering the shortfall. Dimi and her husband John are now owed over $7,500. Dimi knows that there must be more money available but she's unsure why her brother is not helping. She's reluctant to create a confrontation with him and talks over the problem with her husband whilst they are in the kitchen before dinner.
1: What do you mean Arthur won't give you the money? It's not his.
2: He doesn't think mum and dad need any more money.
1: Are you for real? Did you tell him what the doctor and the OT advised? I told him Dr. Johansson said
2: that although mum is okay now, she'll get worse and he advised that we need to do the home modifications sooner so mum can get used to the house before the dementia gets any worse. Those modifications are around $10,000 and the money's there but Arthur won't give it.
1: I can't believe your brother. After everything your parents have done for him,
2: I know it makes me sick to my stomach. And what's worse, he owes us close to eight thousand dollars. Can you imagine what would have happened to them if we weren't here? I don't want to even think about it. Don't
1: cry, darling. We'll, I just, I just. We'll, can't, we'll sort it can't. out. I promise. There has to be a way. Leave it to me. Gee.
0: John mulls over the issue that night and comes to the conclusion that they would be best to talk to their family lawyer to see what their rights and responsibilities are and what Arthur's are.
1: I asked Michael to come and speak to us so we can sort out once and for all what is happening with your parents.
3: What do you mean? It's probably easier if I explain, John. Arthur, when your dad came to me to arrange his power of attorney and guardianship for Maria and himself... It came with strict instructions on who he wanted to do what. It was clear that he wanted Dimmy to be the primary health and home carer, and Arthur, he wanted you to manage his finances. While we drew up the documents and had them signed, they are not legally effective until you sign them and accept your role. Before that can happen, I need to explain how each document operates. Have you ever done this job for anyone else? No.
1: But isn't it my decision as to what happens?
0: I don't care, Michael, what papers say. My kids will do what I tell them to do.
3: I understand, Con, but in order for us to have clarity and avoid any problems between your kids, we need to do it this way. It is the best way as well as being legal. It completes the job we started last year when you had me draw up these papers.
2: Dad, it's okay. Michael is trying to help.
3: With the enduring power of attorney, Arthur you need to read the request in the document that states all reasonable costs for your parents need to be paid directly from their money or reimbursed to the person who incurred the expense. Do you understand these sections, Arthur?
1: I do, Michael, but I don't see the need for all this unnecessary expense. I don't think it necessary.
2: You don't get it because you're not here. Mum needs it. The ACAT assessor said we need it. The doctor says we need it. If we don't make the house safe for mum and dad as they age, the medical costs or a nursing home will be far more expensive.
1: Arthur, you need to stop, mate, and listen. These are your parents, and it's their money, not yours.
3: Arthur, your role as enduring power of attorney means you put your parents' interests over yours. I realise you are conservative and do not want to waste your parents' money. From what I've heard, these expenses are needed. I've not heard any justifiable reason not to pay these expenses. Unless you can convince me these costs are not in your parents' best interests, you're at risk of Dimmy taking you to court, winning and the costs awarded to be paid out of your own pocket. This is a great waste. Please, reconsider your position.
1: Okay, I see your point, and I'm sorry. It will be best to keep mum and dad at home for as long as possible.
3: Thanks. It's good to see some common sense ruling. Now, Demi, as Enduring Guardian, your role is not only to make medical decisions for your parents when they cannot, but also to make decisions about where they live and what kind of support services they need. While your parents have diminished capacity, your role is to support their decision-making. While Arthur can rightly think of his role as the agent of your parents. Your role is more in the nature of a collaborator. You need to support their will and preference as best you can, and only when they cannot make decisions for themselves or if there are unacceptable risks in a course of action they want, then you can intervene and make a decision for them. Dimmy, with your mother's health, we're in a grey area of how much she can rightfully decide for herself. Do you think it might help to provide some objective rules to help guide you and Arthur with your decision-making?
2: Yes, please, Michael.
3: I've bought the original documents for you to both to accept and sign so they can be fully activated. Moving forward, your parents' interests and welfare are the primary objective so these documents, once signed, means that you both understand your roles and responsibilities. Are there any other questions?
1: There's also the issue, Michael, that I spoke to you about. Dimi and I have spent $7,500 in the last few months on various specialist appointments for my mother-in-law that Arthur refused to give us the money for. Arthur, you pay your sister. No questions
0: asked, okay? I'm not putting up with this rubbish. I work hard my whole life, so I don't have to worry about my old age. Your mother is not well. And Demi needs to fix the house. Do the bloody job now and give her the money. Whatever she needs to look after your mother. Final. That's it. Okay, ba. Anything
1: else?
2: Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate it. I need to get moving to fix their house.
1: No worries. I'll give you the money and I'll make sure that we get what my parents need. No expense spared.
3: Great. My job here is done, and if you need anything, just call the office.
0: The best solution to avoid family conflict surrounding issues of inheritance conservation is to ensure that the right legal documentation is in place before people get to the stage when they need it, as you can't create these documents unless you're of sound mind. All involved in the family need to be briefed so that they understand what their roles are and when they need to act. To look at the causes for this situation and how conflict could be avoided, Tanya Katsanis is with Michael Perkins, a lawyer with the Nexus Law Group, who's got over 30 years' experience with family trusts, estate planning and elder law.
4: Michael Perkins, your head of private client services at Nexus Lawyers, and you're all too familiar with this type of circumstance, generally known as inheritance conservation. Now, in the story that we've just heard, we're dealing with the Greek-Australian family who still hold true to their traditional family values. Now, in this scenario, we have parents, Con, who's the father, he's retired and really just wants a quiet life. And Con's wife, Maria, on the other hand, has the early onset dementia, and therefore has a greater need for care and assisted decision-making. As a result, Con has appointed his son Arthur as the enduring power of attorney, where he's in control of the findings, and yet his daughter Dimi is the enduring guardian. So Dimi's responsibility is to manage the day-to-day care of her parents. What we've seen is that there's an issue with Arthur, however, because he had previously agreed to a predetermined allowance for his parents. However, as Maria's medical costs start to increase, Arthur has been reluctant to use his parents' money. So we have this frequently known as inheritance conservation. So is it common, Michael? Yes,
5: it is. And the reason for inheritance conservation can often be a fear of uh, using parents' money, a fear of making mistakes. So it's important not to have a rush to judgment, but rather uh, there is a need to uh, talk with the son uh, and find out from Arthur about what is he really afraid of.
4: The other thing that's interesting to note is that Conn has assigned different responsibilities to each of his children. Is there a benefit in appointing different individuals with different roles?
5: Yes, uh, it's important to remember that the uh, enduring guardian is not just a medical form of a power of attorney. The role of a guardian is quite different to a uh, power of attorney. What's most important is that the uh, right person is appointed for the right role. So uh, to make sure that occurs, often it is important to appoint different people and uh, make sure they understand their responsibilities.
4: Can they challenge each other, as we've seen in this particular case?
5: Absolutely, because the the, the purpose of their role is d- different. Uh, if you had to describe a the role of an enduring guardian in one word, it would probably be collaborator. But if you wanted to describe the role of, of an attorney in one uh, word, it would probably be agent.
4: And when you say attorney, you're talking power of attorney.
5: Yes, but the function of an attorney is to act as the agent of the person under care and to carry out the role in accordance with the uh, terms of the appointment, whereas the role of an enduring guardian is very much to, uh, where there's only a partial loss of capacity, to facilitate the decision-making and support the decision-making of the person under care. And for the mother, with in the early stages of dementia, great care has to be taken to understand what is the extent of her ability to make decisions. And that's where uh, executive decision-making becomes very important to understand as to what is the extent to which the mother can make a voluntary decision, how autonomous is she really, And what's the nature of the help and support she actually needs?
4: Now, Michael, in this scenario, um, one of the things that was highlighted by our fictitious lawyer was that they actually hadn't accepted, Arthur and Dimi, the children, hadn't accepted the terms to their power of attorney and guardianship, even though Con, the dad, did set out to get those sort of formalised for him. So can you explain to us what the acceptance of terms means?
5: The law changed a few years ago now where a person being appointed as an attorney or a guardian has to actually formally sign on and accept their role for that to be valid. And in the case of an enduring guardian, it means sitting down in front of an authorised witness and and showing that you appreciate the nature and effect of the role. With the power of attorney, there's actually a statement that you have to sign on and you've got to acknowledge by your signature that you accept certain responsibilities as the attorney. By not doing this, it means that the children haven't fully activated their appointment, but they've also not had the opportunity to reflect on what is the true nature of of their role and their duty, let alone talk to their parents about really how do things need to operate. So we generally try and do this by using a a form of a family meeting, and that can be a very good context to get this piece of business through. But it is a two-step process.
4: And so with that two-step process, Michael, the initial engagement between uh, mum and dad who want a power of attorney and a guardian in place, and then formalising it with their appointees.
5: That's right. And a simpler way of thinking about it is in making a power of attorney or a power of a guardianship, think of it like a contract. The parents are kicking uh, this off. They're making an offer to their representative and asking them to act in a certain way. So they can do that. They can make the offer and sign the document. But at the end of the day, it's only an offer. To have a completed contract, it has to be accepted on the other side and the person has to sign on. So if you think of it as offer and acceptance, uh, in order to, to complete the whole transaction, you have to have the acceptance side with the representative, and that can happen any time after the parents initiate the document. So there's flexibility as to when that can occur.
4: So in terms of, I understand that with in, generally with enduring powers of attorney and enduring guardianship usually happens when there is diminished capacity. And what we mean by that is a, a person's ability to make a sound decision. So diminished capacity, when we're talking about the elderly, usually refers to the individual that suffers some type of neurological mm. condition, such as dementia or other forms of memory loss. However, our dad, Con, um, in this example, he is a, he is capable. However, his his wife is faced with the unpredictable mm. disease of dementia. So, is it wise to do what Con has done—that is, hand over the power to his children, even though he's got the capacity?
5: I think so, because these documents are contracts, so uh, you need the legal capacity to enter into the contract. So it's best for you to do that whilst you are able to do it. And indeed, uh, if you lose the capacity to make a power of attorney or guardianship, uh, the court can't make one for you. So you're in the public system, you're dealing with the public guardian or the trustee and guardian's office, it's a more difficult, complex process so you have to initiate these things when you do have the capacity that's ideal and uh and necessary and uh, the question is, when at what point uh, do these things start to be applied? What's going to trigger the application? That will generally be some form of change in lifestyle or circumstances. And so it's perfectly in order to kick this off, create it, and leave it unaccepted until it's needed. And that gives you a measure of safety. But there will come a point, as it, there is here, where health has deteriorated. And now it's time to bring, it, bring this into use, to bring these documents out of the uh, back pocket and say, right now, how do we make this work? And uh, what is the nature of the job that needs to be done? And that's why the family meeting and that's why that acceptance process is the opportunity to sit down with the representatives and the people under care and say, right how are we going to do this? How are we going to make this work? What supports are required to make this uh, uh, representation work? And how involved should the parents be in that?
4: Now, the other thing, too, is we talk about this scenario where Con and Maria are quite fortunate because they have loving family who they can appoint. But what happens if we're dealing with individuals who have either a neighbour or a friend or don't have immediate family? So they're either a, a couple childless couple or there are actual individuals? When can they and how do they go about appointing?
5: Well, that's why as a, as a society we do have commercial trustee companies. So you, you there, there are big ones, little ones, uh, like Perpetual Trustee, an Australian Unity Trustee, to name but two. And uh, so you've always got the option to use a commercial service provider. The real choice is do I go down that route or do I... Uh, use uh, professionals and friends or do I use immediate family? They're the three general paths that you, you go down. But if you don't have anyone else, um, you you can uh, go to a commercial trustee company or you can go to the trustee and guardian's office or you can go to the public guardian's office. But the public system generally doesn't suit most private clients.
4: Okay. So in terms of... Uh just talking about when, in your opinion, is it wise to seek legal advice and guidance about ensuring that inheritance conservation is minimised?
5: I think there are two key points uh, at which this problem needs to be addressed. One is uh, when you're putting together the appointment in the first place. And as a matter of normal practice, we generally provide in the powers of attorney that we write Um, and the powers of guardianship that there's an obligation on the attorney and the guardian to use the uh, person's money for their support during their life. It's more of a reminder of the fact that, that lifetime support is critical and everyone has the right for their assets to be used to support that. But that said, the biggest risk against that is longevity. So there is, a, will always be a real question of how long will my money last and what money should be spent and for what purpose and what's the priority. That's the act of discussion that's needed between the parents and the children and they will need some financial advice in all likelihood to work out what is the budget and what is the priority.
4: And allowing for sort of unexpected uh, costs such as unpredictable health scares or whatever else may be needed? Well,
5: there's something like 25% of the national healthcare care budget is spent in the last six weeks of life. So there comes a point when you need to think, well, okay, at what point do I stop thinking about reserves, capital gains, saving? Um, I'm in retirement. Can I I really uh, afford to forget about these things? And the simple answer is no. You, You do really need to think about budgeting for the long term. So conservation of capital is no bad thing. The issue that you've got to watch out for is what's the reason for it?
4: Fair enough. I understand that completely. So can you challenge a situation like inheritance conservation prior to having legal documentation in place?
5: Yes. Well, all legal documentation uh, gives you is the right for certain people to make certain decisions. So if people are trying to make those decisions with no legal support, no legal arrangements, no appointments, there's a problem then and there. So trying to act informally with no legal support is difficult. There is a proposal in New South Wales now for there to be a formal system of supported decision-making to supplement powers of attorney and guardianship. That's before the government at the moment. And I think we have to acknowledge that in many family circumstances, informal care and informal support is the reality of what goes on. And I think the important lesson in all of this is whilst to be informal and flexible is good, It has to be for a proper purpose and some formality around, well, what is the proper purpose? What is everyone's role? Why are we doing it and how are we doing it? This should be ideally an act of discussion in the family, fully open and uh, with all the the relevant family members engaged. And then with that, the job of the attorney and guardian become a lot easier.
4: So we, we go back to our scenario, the right thing was done because... Conor and Maria had appointed their children, as we said, uh, Arthur and Dimi. However, there was a bit of uh, disagreement in terms of how the money was allocated. A family meeting was called whereby our fictitious lawyer had said the terms weren't met, but then they were able to sort out and make a common sense, in inverted commas, settlement where money had to be released to ensure that Maria's care would be benefited because from Dimi's point of view, being the enduring guardian, she had to make sure that her mother had the best care available to her.
5: That's right. And and it illustrates the importance of planning. And to have a plan means that you create predictability of expectation, action. And- Even
4: when there's no predictability with something like dementia where you cannot determine how fast or slow, that she would deteriorate?
5: Well, you can only plan for what, you can, for what you can see and what you can manage. So planning is something that is continual. And where you've got someone with a declining cognitive condition like uh, dementia, you're, you're on a roller coaster. So you, wherever you start, you have to be prepared to review where you may be tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Uh, that's not going away. But if the family has a clear picture of the objectives that they're trying to deliver in terms of support of the parents, lifestyle, continuity, support, then they're always able to react constructively to any new influences that may, that may emerge. The best protection for inheritance conservation becoming a, a guiding problem uh, in the family is to have a clear understanding of the purpose of the care to be delivered to the parents, the parents' engagement and the children supporting it. So the, the ability of the family to communicate at that level is what really creates the safety around the interest of the parents.
4: So just to sum up then, in your professional opinion, the best way to prevent inheritance conservation is to have a plan. Yes. As early as possible.
5: As early as possible.
4: And formalise it.
5: Yes,
0: You have been listening to Money Dearest, a series podcast to help people navigate through the stressful period towards the end of life. We hope this episode, looking at the issues of inheritance conservation, helps explain how some of these family conflicts can arise and can lead to elder abuse. Tanya Katsas was with Elder Law Specialist Michael Perkins of the Nexus Law Group. Music for this series was courtesy of Cat Alchin, Poddington Bear, and the Shangriletts, and 2SERFM produces this series with the support of the Sydney Community Foundation and the Perkins Family Foundation. Thanks for being with us. I'm Roderick Chambers, and we hope that you will listen to our next instalment of Money Dearest.